The views expressed on this special broadcast of the Take 12 radio show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. A very scary experience. You know, God is a solution. God is 12-step. I like where he's going here. Helps the community grow, helps us grow. Bonnie, <laughs> Bonnie has done a phenomenal job. Lack of open-mindedness. And you're talking about taking people through a spiritual process and getting them into recovery. Thanks, Monty, uh, and thanks for all your support. We need spirituality to make this thing work long-term. It's an absolute pleasure. He certainly knows a lot of people. This is one of the places that is about the business of the solution. And now, broadcasting on location somewhere in the vast expanse of the Pacific Northwest, it's the over-opinionated 12-stepologist, The Monty Man. That's right, one and all. Welcome to another fine episode of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show. If you're watching on YouTube, across from me right there is CADC Level 2, Mr. Dave Fleming. Good morning. Good morning, Dave. How are you? How do you like the uh, the patriotic theme in the studio today? Look at that. I, I love it. Look at that. Yeah. You must be, in, be inspired. I, I am inspired. I got inspired yesterday. Yeah, well, we're not, we're not going to talk about that on the I just, show. You know exactly what I'm talking but about. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, my son told me, and I was like, what? I missed that? I was infuriated with myself. Um, yeah, we, we parked out in front of the church. Yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome to the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show. A very special broadcast um, we have on the show this week. Author, counselor, teacher, Suzanne Laura Thistle. And we're going to be talking about her book, Chem Free Sobriety, 101 Trailblazers Share Wisdom and Insight About Their Natural Recovery from Substance Use Disorder. And let me tell you a little bit about Suzanne, a native of New England. Suzanne Thistle began her non-chemical journey in sobriety in 1987 which then led her to become a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. Her her professional addiction experience spans over 20 years, and she currently teaches about drug use and misuse at a local university. Her roles have included executive and clinical director of two agencies, manager as well as therapist. While serving in these positions, she received the Legislative Advocacy Award for Addiction Professionals and the Treatment Agency Provider of the Year award both from her peers during time off suzanne enjoys being with family traveling bike riding hiking relaxing at newfound lake welcome suzanne to the show well thank you i appreciate it absolutely um one of the things that impresses me dave about books when i get them in the mail uh, is the way they feel in your hand. Oh, I just love books. Don't you? Yeah. I, I mean, and we're, we're such a bookless society anymore, you know, um, and, and some books just feel like books, but this thing is just awesome. I mean, it's... I, I, it, 
there's something that happens when you actually have a book in your hand. You're there is. flipping the pages and you get to, you know, do little things like I, I, I get you can do some of that stuff digitally now, but right. it's just not the same. I, I would rather order a book and have it sent to my house than read it online. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this book, Kim Free's Sobriety, is filled with stories, uh, real-life stories, of people that uh, have experienced uh, substance use disorder. They've experienced dysfunction. Um, there's differencing uh, of opinions in here about uh, MAT, medically-assisted uh, treatment. There, there's, uh, there's interviews. I mean, this when you look at the title, Kim Free's Sobriety, you might think that everybody in here is like anti-medication. That's actually not the case. Um, but there are some strong views, and we're going to be talking about that. Suzanne, what what in the world made you decide to write a book? Um, I mean, this is an well, ama- this is an amazing book. Thank you so yeah. much. I, you know, it's funny you said it feels good in my hand. That's not the first time I've heard that. There's something about just having that mat. I think that um, the cover, the surface, that surface, that, yeah, for the book, it's silky. It feels silky. Like, I like it. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, when I was really, really young, I was uh, writing poetry and have had a poem published um, probably twenty years ago. I've had um, just uh, I wrote a biography uh, over twenty years ago, and um, so. So it's been in my blood for a long, long time, but Mm -hmm. what just really pushed me over the edge to write this particular book and and publish it on my own, which, first of all, it's the first book I've ever written, and then to publish it on my own was like, oh my God, I have no idea how to do this, but this information has to get out there now, because um, most publishers take a year, and I'm like... We can't wait. People are dying. This needs to happen now. Right. There's, and and my, my biggest issue in, is when um, the pharmaceutical companies put together a bill, the CARES, CARES Act, which some folks in the profession will know about, the pharmaceutical companies are the ones that put that out there, and they got uh, a legislator to uh, help it push through and, and get uh, enacted. Um, and so we saw millions and millions of dollars come into our state as well as, you know, other places to help with this opiate epidemic, supposedly. Um, but it was just all medication. And we're all sitting there going, what the heck? Why is this just medication? Why, why aren't we just helping people who have an addiction? And I started to see people get over-medicated or... Um, people get prescribed and be told they're going to be on this for life who are 19 years old and maybe have been uh, abusing uh, substances for a few years. Sure. Or or just, you know, anybody with an opiate use disorder has to be medicated. And I just, uh, I just was like, what is happening? <laughs> What's going on here? Why is this happening? Yeah. And, and it just, I had just... Um, left a job and um, I started, you know, I was seeing people come in there, starting to come in there saying my drug of choice is Suboxone. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? This is crazy. Well, they actually said that. My drug of choice is Suboxone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Exactly, because we would say, what is your drug of choice? Sure, you, know? you bet. And 
in our intake process. And um, so it was just, it just got to the point where I was just infuriated. <laughs> Suzanne, let me, let me ask you this. So were these people that were saying this, for the most part, were they people that had been using Suboxone because uh, they were buying it on the street? Or was were these people that, that were uh, using Suboxone because uh, it was presented to them as a, a part of treatment in the past? No, no, this was, you know, I'll take whatever I can get. Okay. People were shooting it up. I mean, I'm sure they still are. Yeah. And that that kind of blew my mind, like, you're shooting this up? Like, <laughs> of course. you know, I think any addict, and I say addict because that's what they, you know, they call themselves. I, I've called myself that. I, I, I don't distinguish, for me, I don't distinguish the difference except for a different drug. It's you know, alcohol, whether it's alcohol, whether it's the box, I mean, there's different treatments for them for sure, but we're just chasing something to make us feel better. Yeah. We're filling that hole. Yeah. And, uh, but what happened with the opiate was just, it, 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 it was out of control. And I think it still is. I think that there's still too many people, as soon as they hear you have a substance use disorder, an opiate use disorder, you're in you know, you're in for medication. Um, there, you know, and, and not to say that I'm against MAT, you know, whether it be Vivitrol or Suboxone or Methadone, I, I have a hard time with the, now they're using uh, like Vivitrol where you get shot up for a month, although Vivitrol isn't uh, uh, an addictive medication. So I have a little bit more tolerance for that, but um now they're using uh, buprenorphine in a shot. Um, so I want to make a statement. So, I want to make a statement about Vivitrol. So uh, Dr. Finkelstein, who who is uh, he is I don't know if he still is, but I know he was one of Gorski's uh, right hand guys. Uh, invited me to a dinner uh, at the uh, I think it was the Cape Cod Symposium on Addictive Disorders, and. Yep. Um, we sat down. There was, I think, there was about twelve of us, including uh, Dave, Doctor Allen Berger, author of Twelve Stupid Things That Mess Up Recovery, and uh, we also, and I met him also at the Evolution of Addiction Treatment Conference in L.A. Um, and he talked about Vivitrol. It was it was kind of a new deal at the time, and his statement I found very very interesting. He said, "So when you inject Vivitrol into the hip." And the person uses opiates, nothing happens. They don't get high. And so how long do you think a person's going to continue to use a drug when there's no payoff? And my remark, because I get myself into trouble all the time, was I, I said, if you're an addict like me, I'll continue to use it until, well, I'll just keep going. It's just like the guy that's pulling the one-armed bandit that's the gambling addict, he's not getting a payoff. But he keeps putting money in that thing, right? Right. So just because you're not getting high doesn't mean that you're going to stop trying to. <laughs> that's, it's like so the they're, old they're days when they used to something else. Yeah, I mean, you know as well as I do that it, the drug is not the medication. Exactly. <laughs> Dave, Dave, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say when I, I don't know, this is before I got serious about recovery. Yeah. Uh, I remember a doctor telling me because, you know, I heard about an abuse and I'm like, yeah, give it to me. And he's like, I'm not going to give it to you. You're just going to drink anyway. 
And right. that's the so, thing is, you know, I thought about later on, it's like, yeah, if, if you're going to drink or you're going to use, you're going to do it regardless. Yeah. 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 So, so, so that's really, now, now in your book, you say, and I think this is very important that, that people know this. this is in the introduction. This is right off the bat. You see people who suffer from alcohol or other drug addiction attest to the fact that once they take a sip of alcohol or use an addictive drug, all bets are off. So my statement to that is the body, the brain doesn't know the difference between street heroin and Suboxone. Right. Right? Exactly. You put it in the body, all bets are off. Right. And that's why that's why I see a difference between Zibitrol and Suboxone or Methadone. Suboxone uh, yeah. and Methadone both have the chemical in them that increases dopamine in your brain versus Zibitrol that doesn't. That's true. That's so they're true. not getting an addictive medication. Um, and some folks have done well with, with all of these drugs, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But my concern is, or my mine and the 101 folks in this book talk about, look at, we know a way that works, and you don't need medication. Um, now, is it necessary to have a bridge? For some, it may be. Sure. It may be necessary to have a bridge. You're, you know, you've been doing it for 30, 40 years. You've been shooting up every day, you know, that sort of stuff, maybe. Or you've been drinking, well, and we know and have known I hate saying this because this stuff is, you know, addiction has been around forever. No, no, say it, say it. I mean, we're using other things. <laughs> we we are not ashamed of any of our uh, 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 statements that we make here at Take 12 Recovery Radio, are we, Dave? Not at all. <laughs> so go ahead, equal, say it, Suzanne. Equal opportunity offender. <laughs> Trust me, I have thick skin. I, I have no problem saying what's on my mind most of the time. Good. Also, sometimes, you know, I'm like, somebody asked me a question on another show, and, and I said, well, how many places is this being broadcast? She goes, oh, 70 countries. I'm like, Okay, well here you go. Well, yeah, because we're, oh, we're so we now broadcast <laughs> we broadcast worldwide now because it's internet radio. So there you go. Yeah. So what were you going to say that uh, you you didn't you hate to say? So um, so anyways, I think that um, for some folks who have been using consistently over and over again, alcohol, we've always sent people who may have severe withdrawals. To the um, hospital, even though you're not supposed to really send them there because they don't do detox, right? And right. I'm being sarcastic there. Um, <laughs> but send them to detox or the hospital, wherever we could get them in. Um, and, um, you know, they may need a benzo to get them off the alcohol, and but a short paper, you know, let's get them in, get them out, and let's move them into recovery, you know, mm-hmm. or start them on recovery immediately. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so these medications, most of them have been around for a long, long time, right? And yeah. Still, we're still in the predicament now where we're still dealing with 80,000 people dying a day in America. I mean, a, a year in America. Yeah. You know, we're yeah. still dealing with 70-something people overdosing on opiates a year. Um, so... We have to get to the root cause. We have to get to the underlying stuff. And, you know, knowing that you're 12-step-oriented radio, I think it's perfect. Mm -hmm. This book is so perfect. Chem-Free Sobriety is an excellent book for anybody 
who wants to know a little bit more about this 12 steps, who wants to understand how people, you know, uh, got into addiction, found recovery, and are living their lives now, but also what are their thoughts about medication. Now, I I didn't say, look, if you have bad thoughts about medication, uh, I don't want to talk to you. I let people say what was on their mind. Yeah. Yeah, in fact... And then in the back of the book, I don't know if you saw the back of the book, which people I did. forget, um, there's information from them of what they think we need in our society today. Uh, it, it, it's information for society, for uh, lawmakers and decision makers, doctors, anybody who has anything to do with um, addiction, uh, whether it be alcohol or any other drug, that back part of the book is really important for them. It's, um, but it's also important for people struggling with addiction who have found recovery to advocate for other people in recovery. We can keep silent as long as we want, but until we start, and that's why I love that you have this radio show, if we start standing up for ourselves, because nobody's going to do it for us, look it. <laughs> We're yeah. in the same predicament. You know, it's just a different drug at a different time. Methamphetamines and marijuana are coming up next. You know, I've, I've started to see that methamphetamines are on the rise now. Well, you know, because people are overdosing on opiates, we've got to switch over, right? Right. And pot's not harmless, right? <laughs> that, yeah. So the, I had this fight online that, you know, pot's not addictive. Yeah, it is. It is. Plus, yeah. it's been genetically so, modified, and you betcha, you betcha. And now we have this big push towards psilocybin, all in the name oh, of my. cancer treatment, right? You know, yeah, we're we're voting on it. This this. Uh, that's right. Anyway, that's right. It's the the whole. You know, doctors and pharmaceuticals have their place, but I think the problem is is it isn't about uh, correcting the problem, finding a cure. It's about let's come up with the next drug to treat the symptoms. That's exactly what they do. Right? That's exactly what they do. I remember, you know, we've talked about this before. I think it was 2013. um, I was working at a treatment center in in Minnesota, and we had speakers come in, and we had this this rep come in talking about Suboxone. Nobody really knew about it. Right. It's like, and he's giving this presentation, and like three quarters through the presentation, he makes a comment. It's like our job as practitioners is to create lifelong customers. And you about heard the the air suck right out of the room. Yeah. And we're like, does this guy know where he's at? He's, you know, and that was like hugely eye opening because he forgot for a second where he was at. And that just tells me, well, everything I needed to know about the drug. Like you said, or did he, or did he say it so that you would now have it in your head and start to believe? There you go. There you go. The pharmaceutical companies and the doctors, to the crooked doctors. Now, all doctors are not bad. There are some good ones there, but they want you to be on this for life, so you continue to keep coming. So I want to. This is a great segue into this this uh, sound clip. I want to play, and I want to get your opinion on it. Um, this is about the topic this uh, this doctor is talking about is not even related to what we're talking about here, but it is so uh, it is just so right on. Um, and in fact, Dave sent me this video today that has nothing to do with the topic we're talking about. Um, 
but this piece, I was like, man, I've got to edit this in today before the show because uh, it is so relevant. This is Dr. Larry Pileski. He's a world-renowned pediatrician. Listen to what he says here in this sound clip, and then I'll get your take on it, Suzanne. Here's uh, Dr. Pileski. In my understanding of knowledge, there are three ways of knowing things. One is intuition. Two is through what people tell you is true. And three, by you discovering the truth and knowledge on your own, through your own research and through your own experience. We are losing one in three. We are losing our ability to use our intuition and we are losing our ability to critically think, to discover answers, and to do our own research and have our own experiences. And we are watching a society and a world where the only thing that we know to be true is what our authorities tell us to be true. And so we are externalizing our authority, we are externalizing our power, and we're giving it up to false gods and false prophets who we are trusting to guide us and take care of us properly. Wow. Wow, that's good. <laughs> wow. I exactly. I am exactly and I, I what I I, I, I get chills. I, I know I get chills too. <laughs> I see pharmaceutical companies. I see I, I see mandates. I see uh, people telling us to fall in line and we just do it. And all the time we know better. We know better. I mean, I mean, I got, I got to point this out. So I'm in a restaurant that have fans going, fans in the ceiling, and and everybody's wearing masks, and there's plexiglass in between the booths, and the fans are going, and everybody knows this isn't working. They all know it, and we're falling in line like little robots. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. And we're doing it. Do you think this is happening in the field of recovery? Exactly. I'm so glad you you brought that. I'm so glad you played that because he's absolutely right. We yeah. have to remember, and that's that's why I, you know, that's why I wrote the book. I'm like, this is not right. I know it's not right. They yeah. should be giving all these debts to people that don't need them, and nobody's saying anything. And and I'm saying stuff, and I'm getting shame based because I'm speaking yep. up, I'm saying, look at, I know, that, and that's why I went all over the state. I knew if I just, you know, I could have a hundred people right here in my area, but I said, you know what, if I do that, they're going to say, oh, that's just your area. So I went throughout the whole state, and I picked, you know, and it just, I picked a few people, and then it was word of mouth, and then I had to, like, up in the northern part of New Hampshire, I had to, you know, call it searches, like, do you have anybody in recovery up there? <laughs> um but, you know, and the other thing is that people in recovery, 12-step recovery, please, please, for the love of all that is right for people struggling with addiction, speak up. Look in the back of the book of Chem-Free Sobriety. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of information you can use to help support people in recovery, because if we don't do it, we the tribe, we the people in recovery, if we don't do it, it won't get done. Because That's right. right now... Most of the money is going to doctors and upper management who have no clue what recovery is. Some are learning through trial and error. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. 
majority don't know. They weren't in they this don't. profession. They weren't working on the streets with people, you know? Right. And so we need to open our mouths. I know there's, you know, one of the one of the traditions in the, in the 12-step world is, you know, don't publicize. Well, Bill W. went to Washington. Well, yeah, see, that whole thing, that that's that's totally been twisted. It's our public relations policy that's based on attraction not rather than promotion. Not our personal stories. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So we need to we need to start and and a lot of times what I'm hearing out there, people telling their stories so that they'll help other people or people brand new in sobriety. Well that's fine, but you need some people and that's why I wanted to make sure I had yeah. some folks a lot of folks with long term sobriety in in that book. So most of them in chem-free sobriety, have over 10 years of sobriety. Um, we've got seven in there that have over 40 years. Those are amazing people who have incredible sobriety. They're just the best people on the planet. Um, not to say, you know, I, I talk about the girl who has um, only a year of sobriety. She's the, the least uh, of sobriety in there, and mm-hmm. she's been through. She's been through a lot. You know, um, she's died like I don't know how many times, four or five times. Um, but she's still kicking and she's doing really well. She's an amazing woman, uh, Mona. Um, so, but we need to use our voices, especially right now. We need to remember that what we know is true, that intuition, we know it's to be true, but we're starting to second-guess it. Some people are starting to second-guess, like, oh, maybe they are right that people should be on medication for life, you know? Yeah. But yeah. one of the things you find in that book is that most people don't say that. Most people do not say you should be on this. I don't think anybody in there says you should be on it. No, most no. And, say, and, yeah. You shouldn't. You should. Yeah. You shouldn't. And, you know, any, any residential treatment program that's worth its weight um, that is using, for instance, Suboxone is going to wean their people off of before they dismiss them from that center. They're not going to teach them how to manage it for the rest of their lives. They're going to wean them off. And I've known a couple centers that were very successful in doing that, and they lost their funding. Imagine that. Imagine that. that. Most people are getting on it, and they're staying on it. They're staying on it. Yeah, so the the few places that are worth their way that are doing that uh, seem to be losing their funding. So we're going to take a break, and then I have a question for you. Um, from your book. And then later on in the show, um, we're going to actually read Zach's story. All right, more uh, with uh, the author of Chem Free Sobriety, Suzanne Thistle. 101 Trailblazers share wisdom and insight about their natural recovery from substance use disorder when we come back. Don't go away, my friends. Much more. Hey, it's the Monty Man here, and I'd like to introduce you to what I truly believe is the gold standard in sober living, Absolute Ministries. Absolute Ministries was founded to provide faith-based positive housing to men and women that have completed a drug or alcohol inpatient rehab program and want to live for Jesus Christ. While at Absolute, you will make a commitment to lead a substance-free life in an atmosphere that focuses on accountability, integrity, character, transparency, and responsibility. What can you expect from Absolute? Personalized curriculum to address specific individual areas of emotional and spiritual growth. Family atmosphere to foster many lasting friendships in Christ. 
accountability through the genuine support of others who can relate, encourage, and challenge you, life skills training, positive group activities and outings, and connecting with a local church. We encourage men and women to find their niche, their passion, by getting involved and volunteering locally. For more information about the sober living of Absolute Ministries, visit absoluteministries.org. The gold standard in transitional housing and mentoring. Hey, check it out. You can now access all of our shows from a variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, Podomatic, and Player FM. Simply search for Take 12 Recovery Radio, and you'll be tuned into the best in recovery broadcast journalism. Also available at Take12Radio.com. Hey there, this is Pastor Sean Silveri from the Organ Ministry Network of the Assemblies of God. You are listening to the recovery talk and positive music of Take 12 Recovery Radio. All right, welcome back to the show. You've tuned into the Take 12 Recovery Radio show, the world's original and oldest recovery talk and positive music radio station broadcasting to you 24 hours a day. Seven days a week from the studios of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting in, on the outskirts of beautiful downtown Albany, Oregon. Uh, our guest on this show is Suzanne Laura Thistle. She is uh, she's a counselor. She's a teacher, uh, an educator. She is the author of Chem Free Sobriety. 101 Trailblazers share wisdom and insight about their natural recovery from substance use disorder. Um before I ask you this question, Suzanne, how can folks get your book? Uh, it's on Amazon, and you can get it at Barnes & Noble. Um, there's Gibson in New Hampshire as well, in Concord. In okay. Hampshire. I haven't pushed too far on that because it's just me, you know? Sure, working sure, it, so. sure. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Amazon. Yeah, pull it up on Amazon, folks. Uh, Kim, uh, hyphen free sobriety. Kim free sobriety. All right. You say, quote, in today's world, recovery does not mean the same thing as it did before we had an addiction crisis, end quote. What do you mean by that? Well, um, you know, I was brought up in the recovery world where um, you were in recovery if you were abstaining from alcohol and other addictive medications or drugs. And now that's not the case, mm-hmm. which is fine if that's what, you know, what the world has turned to. Um, now, if you uh, stop heroin and you're using marijuana, that's okay, and you're called in recovery. So it's a lot different than what it used to be. Um, and there's there's not a lot of um, uh, motivation to be abstinent because, you know, uh, there's a lot of harm reduction out there, a lot of um, people who fight against abstinence, but uh, I, I'm wor- I worry that we're on the wrong track here, that those things popped up, you know, harm, re- harm reduction's been around forever, too. Sure. Addiction's been around forever, medication's been around forever, but all of a sudden, they're taking first place, and recovery, yep. working on yourself, and um, being free of things that uh, cloud your mind and make you uh, not feel. Now, those are things we want 
to do. We want to feel the feelings. We want to work through them. We want to have a clear mind and a healthy lifestyle. Um, so what we do know is that if, well, you know, most professionals who've been in this profession for a while know that um, there's cross-dependence and cross-tolerance. You know, if I pick up another drug, that the chances of me becoming addicted to that drug too are pretty high, or it won't be enough and it'll bring me back to my drug of choice. So just staying clear of addictive drugs or medication is helpful. And you can, you absolutely can be chemical-free. Yeah, um, what, I, what I've found is that, like you say, people want to recover. They want to feel better. They want to do something different. What I've found, you know, I, I just celebrated uh, 16 years uh, recovered, that people just don't know how to do it. And there's a lot of people yeah. that are actually that have some, you know, quote-unquote recovery time, which, you know, like you say, some are still smoking pot and say they're in recovery, which I don't agree with. But people need examples. And so, I, you know, I haven't had a chance uh, to read your book, but it, it sounds awesome and I, I can't wait to do it. It's, you know, I, I'm my story uh, is, you know, I, I did a chemical free. But my thing is I had to, like, figure it out as I went. When I went to treatment, they were uh, like, when you when – you, okay, your aftercare plan is like this. And we, I'm like, cool, I'm going to go to sober living and I'm going to, you know, do all this and I'm going to have a cushion, you know. And they said, nope, you're going home. You know what to do? Go do it. And I had cool. to go do it. And I, yeah. And my thing is I had to go – I ended up going, uh, going to meetings every day for almost two years and getting involved uh, doing service work and not isolating because that was my problem. I could isolate – I'm fine with being my, by myself, or I can get a self-help book and figure it out on my own. Well, that's not always the case. And we, no, I had a great counselor that told me when I went to treatment and I brought all those books with me. She's like, you don't you dare open one of those books. So in, oh. in being in the, working in the field, I've found that people just don't know what to do and they're getting they don't. the wrong information you know, from TV or from movies or from right. even their doctor right. that's giving them bad information. We need more mentors in recovery that are teaching the solution. And that's the problem. That's the big deal, right. Dave, right? People aren't we, – we know that over 80% of people that attend 12-step support meetings do not have sponsors, don't utilize sponsors, aren't working the steps, right? The ones that do are successful. But we've got but so many people. They don't need to now, you know, because it's a different kind of recovery. Because right. it's a different kind of recovery. Now, I'm, I'm good friends with Ken Seeley. He is the uh, the founder uh, of A&E's Intervention. He's a good friend of mine. He's been on my board. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. But he'll be the first one to tell you, you don't recover by sitting at home watching Intervention. <laughs> Osmosis. I, but some well, and, the, and this is a good lead into my next book, which will be coming out hopefully soon if I can ever get it done. Um, but it is a step by step. You know, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that in whole health way. My my undergrad is health education, so um, it's a combination of uh, uh, sobriety and health. You know, yeah, a whole health approach, yeah, nice. not just physical, mental, spiritual, but other aspects as well. So. That'll be coming out soon. I, I'm I neglect. I, I don't want to say what the title is yet because I'm not yeah, solid on it. I, I understand. <laughs> so, 
Um, so I want I'm going to I'm going to take a few minutes here and I'm going to read a Zachary's story and and just so that the the listeners kind of get an idea of how this book's laid out. So <clears throat> this is Zachary B. Uh, and each story uh, starts out with the the date of the interview, the sobriety date of the one being interviewed. Um, in this case, uh, his sobriety date was six thirty thirteen. Uh, the hometown, Hookset, and then a question. And there's a couple of questions. And the first one is, when did you start drinking or using drugs and how did it progress? And Zachary said, I was eight years old and living in Maine. I was getting into mischief and had a lot of room uh, to roam around because we lived on a large farm. Then we moved to Rochester, New Hampshire. And the first time I got drunk was a year later at a wedding. I was drinking other people's drinks on the table when they weren't looking. Sound familiar, Dave? <laughs> I, I, di- I didn't get caught, so there were no repercussions. I didn't didn't get sick or black out. I've always been short and would get picked on for it in sixth and seventh grade. I remember always wanting to fit in. I started skateboarding at, pu- at the public library with a group of older kids and got validation from them because I was a good skateboarder. One day... I was in a treehouse, and a friend pulled out some weed, and we smoked it. I ran through the woods laughing and had a good time. Everything changed when I went to high school and had a lot of friends. I went to a private high school and played sports, hockey, and football. Life was good. I was the only one in my freshman class who used drugs. Interesting that he says that. Life was good. But he's medicating this whole time. You know, but in his world, life was good. Yeah, in his world, life was good. I was um, considered the bad boy in my sophomore year. Everyone was doing it. My drug use wasn't affecting anything yet. I love that. Yet. When I was 15, my friend whose father had terminal cancer stole some of my father's Oxycontin and asked if I wanted some. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Right. He sold it to me for $15, and I did it that night. I got super sick because I did almost all of it. Isn't that just like an addict? Yep. Right? Yeah. I, I'm not taking one of Give these. I'm just <laughs> One of the most dangerous things you can put on the outside of a prescription bottle is take as needed. Right? Yeah, the, 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 it's it's kind of like a serving size, right? Right, a serving size. He He said, I thought opiates were not for me. However... It opened the door for me to try other drugs. I was doing Percocets and random pills during school. I smoked weed every day and drank on the weekends. In my junior year, I got in trouble at school for being high at a school dance and got suspended. Oh, see, now the consequences are starting up for this guy. Uh, My parents had me talk to a psychiatrist who who, uh, thought I might have ADD or ADHD. Well, of course they did. And prescribed Adderall. (laughs) Okay, my life drastically improved on Adderall for a short time. I was a straight-A student on Adderall with minimum effort. However, I abused Adderall very quickly. I started sniffing it and told my doctor it was wearing off in the middle of the day. Within three months, I was taking 90 milligrams a day. I barely ate and wouldn't sleep. My friends and I would sniff it on the weekends, stay up, smoke weed, and drive around. After graduating from high school, I went to Plymouth State University with my best friend. I made it for three semesters, got put on academic probation, and gave up. Friends at Plymouth introduced me to cocaine and ecstasy. The big thing for me was cocaine and alcohol. People around me could do it, turn it off, go to school, 
and get their stuff done. I could not. When I came home, I was a mess. That's all my parents. I had been doing cocaine for the first three semesters. They put me in substance abuse counseling and tried to push residential treatment on me, which I was very good at avoiding. At 20 years old, I enrolled in the University of New Hampshire. You see a pattern here? The guy is very functional. He's very, he, he, he gets a good education. He's a hard worker. He's a good guy. Good starter. Yeah, good starter. <laughs> I had a steady job and was still drinking. I ran into a friend, and we decided to get some cocaine. We went to buy it off my friend's uncle, and he cooked it up uh, with some crack. I took my first hit and thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever done. I smoked crack every day after that. I stopped showing up to work, and within a month, I started shooting it. Within a month, I was shooting cocaine and heroin. I stopped going to UNH and was a full-blown heroin addict. I was one of those users who didn't sleep. I was using seven grams of crack a day, shooting up four to five times a day. It was a 24-7 cycle. I stayed up for 22 days one time. You need a lot of drugs to do that. I was hallucinating all the time. When I was 22, my dad picked me up after I hadn't uh, been talking to him for a long time. Uh, I hadn't showered in days, was on the run, and had been arrested for my first narcotics possession. He picked me up and brought me to treatment. It was a 30-day program on Cape Cod. I walked out after three days and was shooting cocaine again. My hubby took me under... Uh, or my, my buddy, I'm sorry, my buddy took me under his wing and taught me the ins and outs of being a junkie. At age 23, I overdosed. I remember being in the back of an ambulance and gasping for air. They brought me to the same hospital where my dad and mother worked. When they brought me in, I had uh, aspirated so much of my fluid that I had aspirated uh, aspiration pneumonia. Oh, my gosh. I was hooked up to a ventilator for three days and was in the intensive care unit for another seven days. I remember physicians and counselors coming by to talk to me about treatment. And I told them, I'm okay. <laughs> I walked out of the hospital, shot dope for three days, and disappeared again. I had another warrant out for my arrest and decided to go to a methadone clinic. I got a methadone and showed up at court. I started uh, working a regular job and saving a significant amount of money. I was shooting a ton of cocaine while I was on methadone. When my friend's probation officer came over one afternoon, we had needles all over the place. We both got picked up that day, and I ended up going to jail for six months on a probation violation. I was only on 70 milligrams of methadone at the time, and it took 33 days to detox. I didn't sleep, and I would sweat through two sets of clothes a day. I would, uh, I would never have gotten off methadone had I not gone to jail. I am grateful for this. In minimum security, I was eligible for work release. I would work until four and then get dope. I was bringing dope into the jail and left the jail with a significant dope habit. One night in 2011, I decided I couldn't do it anymore. I showed up at my parents' house, went down into the basement with a gallon of whiskey, and drank myself stupid for two weeks to detox. After that, I started going to the Suboxone Clinic and didn't use other drugs for 11 months. I never went and got psychological help. The underlying issues were causing me to use, but the Suboxone took care of my cravings for other opiates. I started working, paying bills, and having relationships with my family. It was an enjoyable year. Then I got bored. 
I started doing crack again, shooting dope, and selling my Suboxone. My parents began to notice a change. I was arrested in Lawrence on my birthday, on my way uh, to pick up drugs. I didn't show up to court and went on another year-long tear. I got heavy into bath salts and shooting them up. My brother-in-law knew I had a warrant out for my arrest and said he would drive me to turn myself in. He drove me there at 2 a.m., and I did turn myself in. I was smoking spice and doing other drugs while I was in jail. However, I did start to pray and convinced my parents to bail me out. They allowed me to stay in the basement of their new house as long as I got into a program, so I did. In August 2012, I was uh, walking home from a new job, saw some guys looking into cars to break in, and said to them, hey, let's go get some drugs. And then he goes on to explain, he didn't even know these guys. He just walks up to these strangers and says this. And at Christmas Eve dinner, I nodded off into my soup bowl. In March, I experienced the worst detox ever. My parents tried to get me into treatment, but they finally kicked me out and put me up in a lodge in Manchester where people went to get high. I went on an absolute bender. In the third week of June 2013, I was in the hotel, looked around at the people, the situation I put myself in, and something came over me. I was now the guy who was showing the younger kids how to shoot up. I realized I'd had enough. I grabbed this kid's cell phone, called my mom, and told her I would go to whatever treatment she wanted me to. I just wanted help. She said, I'll pick you up right now. I had to have one last score, so I had her pick me up the next morning after I shot my last bag. My mother made me call Teen Challenge. She and my father and I needed to be in Teen Challenge within a week. They gave me a week to get my physical and TB test in order, and I was supposed to detox that week. But I left every day and got high. I went into Teen Challenge the following Monday and stayed for 15 months. I did 11 months after that as an intern, and then they offered me a full-time job. I have been here for six years and managed academic life. I finished college on May 16th of this year. I'm taking uh, MCATs and planning to go to medical school. I've always wanted to help people and generally think I am meant to do this. Drug use is not an option for me today. And then here's the next question. Looking back, when do you think it was mostly out of control? And he answers, the worst of it was from when I was 19 years old until I was 27. Um, How are you able to not drink or use daily is the next question. And this is what he says. He says, I have support from God first. I read the Bible every day, pray, have people in my life who are counselors. I have an incredible support network that ministers and mentors me. The other aspect of it is service. My job here provides an excellent platform for me to serve all the time with people who are walking the same path that I have. We serve the homeless and try to figure out diverse ways to help people. I exercise, run, and lift weights. I read self-help books and literature to help me become a better person. Dale Carnegie's Dysfunctions of a Team and Life uh, Applicable Skills, I meditate as well. What is your thought about medicated-assisted treatment? Well, medication has its place in treatment. I believe there are a lot of great doctors who want to help people. Is there anything you want those struggling with addiction to know? And then he states, it's never over. You can always get clean. I've seen the worst of the worst, and their lives change through recovery. 
it's still possible. That Zachary story. Interesting. He just, there is definitely a pattern, right? He's a smart guy. He goes to college. He, he, he uses, he gets sober. He uses, he gets sober. But it isn't until, it isn't until he plugs into the spiritual aspect of his program right. that he stays sober. Right, and the other part of that is is meant is is he's mentored. He's got support. He's doing service work. Yeah, you know he's doing he's all this. Doing stuff. the deal. Right. Go ahead, Suzanne. Yeah. Well, he's now in medical school. He's a DO. He's working on his DO. So wow, he's really an incredible success. He's a great, great guy. He's a great guy. He's doing very, very well. Yeah. So people can and do make it, and and. You know, don't need medication to to live a healthy, normal life. You know, and you got to give yourself enough enough time. You know, the, the human body is an amazing uh, machine that will, you know, re, it'll create new cells and neural pathways and all of these things if you give yourself enough time to do it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and put the right stuff into it. <laughs> right, mm. right. Yep. Um, so one of the comments in the book, uh, and this was, I believe his name is, is Ryan. Uh, the question is asked in his story, what is your thought about medication-assisted treatment, MAT? And he says, if someone doesn't want to be abstinent, but they also want to do fentanyl, an MAT program may be suitable. <laughs> that is sad, but, but often true. He says, uh, if you don't treat the underlying condition, they're going to continue to behave the way addicts do. The right abstinence provider is equally appropriate. Prescribing things to people in a blanket manner is crazy. If somebody says MAT is all they're willing to do, that's all they're willing to do. That's better than somebody being dead. He says, telling somebody you're going to be on medicated-assisted treatment for the rest of your life or this is as good as it gets, isn't true. The whole limbic system is never able to heal or res, uh, respond appropriately while being dosed daily with Suboxone. The actual healing process, just from a physical standpoint, doesn't take place until you remove the outside substances from the brain. True, Dave? Boom! Yeah! <laughs> Pow! Right? That's right. I, I mean... Uh, People need to feel the pain because you're going to have to detox off Suboxone or Methadone anyways, right? Yes. Yep. Eventually, you're going to have to feel. And, that, you know, the theory is that if you're on Suboxone for a little while, you can get to the place where you can talk about this, maybe medicated, but you're able to talk about some of those underlying issues without feeling that extreme pain. Um, but then there are others who are um, like... I'm so grateful for the pain I went through because had I not gone through that pain, I would have nothing to look back at and say, I don't yeah. want to feel that way again, you know? Right. That's why I look at it. It's so, like if, if I hadn't gone through everything that I've gone through, I wouldn't be the person that I am today to be able to help others. And, and that's why the in, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it talks about we, we do not regret the past nor wish to shut the door right. on it, right? Right. right. Uh, because if we do then we're not going to be helpful to the next guy. Um, and, and we are we are a world 
that loves to run from the uncomfortable. We love to run from the pain. And it is it is part of our survival to experience the pain. Wouldn't you agree, Suzanne? I, yes. Yeah. And people are afraid to feel that. You know, you don't have to now because there's a pill for everything, so you don't have yeah. to feel. <laughs> if you're uncomfortable, you take a pill. If you, you know, if you're feeling anxious, take a pill. If you feel, you know, there's so many people that are addicted to benzos. They finally decided, and I think it was just this year, to put a label on benzodiazepines that says, even taking it as prescribed can cause addiction. I don't know if exactly those wording, mm-hmm. that's what they're getting to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So um, we can take a pill for anything, but until we just work on it with a, you know, a sober mind, um, how do we work through it? Well, and you know... That... I'm curious. I'm curious, Monty. Why did you choose Zachary? Well, the teen challenge story is is part of it, but that really isn't the main part. Uh, because we had Dave and I both work for Adult and Teen Challenge, but um, oh, the main part that really the biggest reason is because of the way he. First of all, it's obvious he's an intelligent kid. Yes. So a lot of people, a lot of people say because I, 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 there was a post a guy posted on on my YouTube uh, version of a show we did back in 2014 called "So You Hate Alcoholics Anonymous." I reposted it yesterday because. This this gentleman responded by basically saying people in 12-step programs, they're low-lifes, they're losers, they're not very smart, they they just don't have any any uh, willpower or wow. blah, 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 blah. And unfortunately, that that is the viewpoint of many people about people that are living with substance use disorder. Well, because and, of the lack of experience. From lack of experience. And they don't know what they're talking about, and and so, yeah. the, so I wanted to show Zachary because this guy is obviously uh, a great guy. You know, you remove the substances. There's, doc, there's an ER doc in there too. He's anonymous too. He's in there as well, and he's um, he's doing really well too. And he only had a year of sobriety, a year or two of sobriety, maybe two years when I mm-hmm. um, interviewed him, and his story is an interesting story when it comes to Suboxone because he was just taking everything and you know the thing with Suboxone too is you can abuse you can still abuse other drugs while you're on it I hope that doesn't feed into anybody right right (laughs) well and the thing about Zachary that these guys were the thing about Zachary that impressed me his story is uh it was much like like mine because I had I had said I will never use intravenously, and then I found myself doing that. And Zachary was the same guy. I mean, he started. You'd never know it if you look at him. You'd never, yeah, you'd never believe it. He's he's a, just a wonderful, handsome young man. You know, yeah. So I think he's in his thirties, right? Um, and he's just great. He's just a great guy. I can't. I, I wonder if he's listening because he is on my Facebook page. I noticed that that. You know, I posted this on, I think you might have too. So I'm hoping he's listening. And if not, I, I think I'll send him a copy of this once it's done. Because um, he, everyone in that book, the reason why they did the interview with me yeah. of it is because they knew 5% of all net sales will go to people in uh, with substance use disorders. But also they knew it would help people. And I don't know if we said this on here yet, but this book... When it came out on Amazon, uh, the new release, 
it was the number one bestseller, both in two different categories. It was the number one book. Wow. kind of blew my mind. Wow. Both in alcoholism and drug addiction. Again, you know, it doesn't really matter what you're using yeah. to to escape. Um, this book can help you. Yeah, it, yeah. It's just such a great book with so many great stories. There's people who abused opiates, people who abused stimulants, people who abused alcohol. Um, but they all came to the same place. And um, most, not all, uh, ask God for help. Uh, some of them used other paths, and that's fine. You know, sure. that was their path. But all live in, um, you know, without any medication. Right, medication, right. So. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on our show and, and sharing your Ooh. experience, strength, and hope as far as uh, uh, what you've done with your life since uh, the trauma that you've experienced and uh, now helping others through this uh, this very powerful book. Kim Free Sobriety. It's on audio, too, just so people know. It is coming out on audio pretty soon. It's already under oh, nice. review. So, um, you know, if people don't can't read very yeah. well or just don't have time, I know there's a lot of docs, uh, doctors and uh, these uh, buying this book now, and so, um, you know, don't have a lot of time, so audio is a good thing for them. It is an e-book, too. Nice. Very, very good. Any closing thoughts, Suzanne? I just, I just, you know, um, our main reason for putting all this together, me and, and the 101 other folks, um, we all just want people to know that they're not alone, that they can get help, and um, this book is a way to at least start the process. Pick it up. It's at Amazon, Chem Free Sobriety at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, Gibson in New Hampshire. Um, it's a way to... and. What, someone just told me the other day that she's the director of some prevention programming, and she's using it. She's promoting it as a prevention tool for teenagers. So nice. That's a good idea. I just did it with my class. Um, I had the, I read a few of the stories like you did today, and asked them to answer questions about prevention. Mm. So. Um, it definitely can be used for a prevention tool. And, and don't forget, uh, if you're a representative out there, if you're, uh, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, this is something you should read if, you ha- if you're you know, interested in helping people with addiction. Yeah, you, you, you bet. Addiction, substance use disorder, all this stuff, trauma, everything. It's no respect or appeal. It doesn't care what side of the fence you're voting on. Um, right. You know, this is... Addiction is the number one health crisis in our world today, and yet recovery from it gets the least amount of attention due to stigma. So, um, you know, this book helps break that stigma. I so appreciate it so very much. Suzanne, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. So I kind of mentioned about this guy that posted this real negative thing about addicts and alcoholics and, you know, they're not like regular people, they're losers and all that kind of stuff. Um, So this closing song kind of speaks to that and then it has a little bit of a surprise on who he's talking about. You'll probably be able to figure it out. Um, It's by recovery recording artist Mr. Jeff Bates. And we're going to close out this show with this, this song. It's entitled He Wasn't like us. Here's Jeff Bates. We didn't know for sure, but everybody said that old boy ain't right in the head. He's a little slow. 
We'd hide in the bushes, not making a sound. When he'd walk by, we'd push him down on that dirt road. I was just as guilty as my friends. We had a lot of laughs at his expense. He wasn't like us. He wasn't cool. He'd just smile even while we were being cruel. He stood out. He didn't fit in. We kept throwing the stones. No, we didn't let up on him. He never said a mean word. No, he never even made a fuss. He wasn't like us. Later on, he made a name in our town for hanging out and running around with the rough crowd. They were boozers and losers and low-class broads, but he saw good in 'em. Nobody else saw, and he brought it out. Then the rumors started flying that he was some kind of holy man. But we set him straight and told him to his face he was a crazy man. He wasn't like us. He wasn't cool. He'd just smile even while we were being cruel. He stood out. He didn't fit in. But we kept throwing the stones. No, we didn't let up on him. He never said a mean word. No, he never even made a fuss. He wasn't like us. Well, I remember the day he got in trouble with the law. They cussed him and kicked him and mocked him and whipped him, then they nailed him to the cross. He wasn't like us. He didn't fit in, and I felt. My knees and wept for him. He never said a mean word. No, he never even made a fuss. He never did nothing wrong. All he ever did was love. He wasn't like us. He wasn't like us. The Southern Country Recovery Sounds of Mr. Jeff Bates. For more of his music and to visit his website, visit jeffbates.net. A special thank you to my incredible guest this week, author of Kim Free Sobriety, Suzanne Laura Thistle. Until next time, this is the Monty Man along with the Take 12 Recovery Radio family. And we are wishing God's perfect serenity for you.
This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.